Once again, welcome everybody. Really such a delight to be here together with you on this evening. As I mentioned, what I want to share with you tonight is uh, some reflections on this uh, quality called mudita, uh, usually translated as appreciative joy, but you'll hear that it's it is it's it's a full word that's difficult to put into uh, translate into English. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to share with you about appreciative joy is because of last week. So I don't know if for those of you who are last week, I gave you a talk on, uh, gave a talk on loving kindness. And it was so much fun. It was so much fun to connect with everybody. I thought the discussion was something that really lifted up my heart. And, and loving kindness is uh, one of these qualities in Buddhism that's called uh, one of the Brahma Viharas, these qualities of heart that frees the heart. And another one is mudita. It's the third one. I skipped over compassion. We'll get to that at some point. But mudita often is not talked about so much. So I wanted to take some time with that. Uh, what it is and isn't and some dimensions to it. So what is this mudita? As I said, it uh, can be translated as sympathetic joy or appreciative joy. It's also, it comes from, um, it's derived from modati, which means to rejoice. So I'll also be sharing a little bit about this quality of, of rejoicing. In its simplest form, it's uh, very much what I invite you to, to explore at the end of the meditation. So one dimension is what we ended with, just uh, having the joy around the joy that's happening in other people's lives. That's, that's kind of, embodied with, I'm so happy that you're happy. I feel so much joy because of the joy in your life. And that when you've, I'm sure you felt that it feels so good, doesn't it? <laughs> and also what's in that realm is gratitude, kind of an appreciation, a delight, uh, rejoicing in the, the good things in my life the, the uh, around that. So it's the sense of, I'm so grateful for fill in the blank like we did. So I'm so happy that you're happy. And then appreciating my own joy, my own happiness. Just to stretch it a bit, and you're going to hear elements of all of these, hopefully, is it's also a sense of rejoicing in uh, around our own skillful and beautiful actions. So when I do something generous, part of this overlaps with other qualities, part of mudita is being able to, to be like, oh, wow, that was a generous thing that I did and it feels good. And I'm gonna take some time to enjoy that. So this is a, a big thing in, in Buddhism, especially around ethical conduct. So ethical conduct, the way I grew up about it is the things that I was supposed to follow so I wouldn't get in trouble. Right? <laughs> I just ended up feeling bad most of the time. That's what I thought ethics were about. But in Buddhism, it's about feeling good about uh, the, the ethical things that you're doing every day, like being kind to someone taking the bug out of the, out, outside, maybe not outside right now because it's so cold. <laughs> That's washing the bug. What a generous thing to do. <laughs> There's plenty of room in the house for little bugs. Oh, wow, I did a good thing to really appreciate that. And then this, do the, the same with our friends or others or even a stranger, a sense of delight and rejoicing. And it's a skill that I'm learning to really refine it. So it's that whole realm. 
And tonight I, I want to share a, a variety of facets of this, this realm. And the first one that I want to point out is how it's an essential quality joy. There's many different words for joy in at least early Buddhism, and this is one of them, mudita. And it, it's a hallmark of how this practice gets expressed. So for example, during the Buddha's time, um, a practitioner of the, the Buddhas was the king of Kosala. So once upon a time, the king of Kosala came to the Buddha. He said, you know, it, it's so interesting when I see your practitioners that you've taught, you know, walking around the village or wherever he saw them, they're, they're so delight, they're so uh, filled with joy, they're elated. They look serene and jubilant and peaceful, enjoying the spiritual life. Well, I think it's really important to remember, just because in much of Buddhism, I know this for myself, we love talking about suffering, right? Suffering's great <laughs> to talk about. Nothing like that. And there can be a forgetting of this aspect that comes with becoming free of, of suffering as the joy. And this was a hallmark of, of how the, the practice was being seen, at least from the outside around practitioners. This is part and parcel of this. And I know for me, it's, it's one of the things that's been so nourishing about this path is one of the things I get from it is it fills my life with joy. It fills my life with joy in a way that I can begin to slow down and savor that joy. So we'll come to that too. It's not just, oh, I'm grateful for this and I move on, but to linger with that, like I invite you to do. It's something different. And this is how it can be intertwined with the meditation. And again, I, I want to point out, it's, it's not about trying to get to a state where I'm joyous all the time but rather opening up that doorway more. So when the time is appropriate and it's arising, I can move through that door more easily. Because what I've noticed is that moving through the door, it's a practice, it's a skill. In particular, you could say that mudita is a way of perceiving. I'm learning how to perceive another person's life, learning how to perceive my own life in a way that can be refined and strengthened and stabilized that brings joy. So it is a way of perceiving. I'm learning how to perceive the joys in another person's life. I, I'm, I'm listening for that, being sensitive to that, and also in my own life. And this is what it is, is I'm training the heart and mind to orient to what's going well in these particular ways. What's going well in terms of what's wholesome, what's onward leading for your life, what's supportive. And then to notice that in my own life and to be sensitive, that, sensitive to that in my relations with others so that I'm rejoicing in that. I'm bringing light to that in conversation or in connection. And just as I invited you to do, it could be really simple things. Like let's say the example of maybe with you have a friend and something happens in one of your friend's life that's joyful. Maybe they got that job 
that feels meaningful to them, that contributes to community in a way that's really fills their hearts. And they're joyful about it. And to be able to join them with that, not getting lost in envy or jealousy, but to be like, I'm so happy that you're happy. That's so cool that's happening in your life. Or they enter into a new relationship that's nourishing them. I'm so happy that you're happy. To reflect that back, to be able to partake in that. Or it could be they're sharing with you their joy of spending time with their children or grandchildren or appreciating a sunset or sharing with you an act of kindness that they engaged in or an act of generosity. I'm so joyful that you're joyful. I'm so happy that you're happy. So one of the skills is I need to be able to orient to that. Because if your mind's like mine, which can be so common for human minds, is uh, what one teacher calls, it's the what's wrong attention, which means, so what's wrong here? <laughs> which can happen even around friends. Yeah, I know you're in that relationship, but what, just wait, it's gonna suck at some point, I promise. <laughs> We're not looking for that. <laughs> yes, that might be true. <laughs> because things go up and down and we, we all know how relationships are. But I'm trying to prime for what's going well and to rejoice in that, not as a way of denying the bad things, which I'll get to, but it's a skill to linger with that in myself and in relationships. When I do this, it expands the amount of joy that's possible in my life. As the Dalai Lama says, when you... Uh, rejoice in the joy of others, you increase your chances of joy from one to eight billion. <laughs> Those are great odds. Right? Those are really good odds to increase the joy in your life. And even bigger than that, if you imagine the possible joy for the trees and grasses, for the four-legged creatures, even the six-legged creatures and the eight-legged creatures, even the creatures who don't have legs and the joy that might be in their lives at times. And to feel that, to behold it, to open to that, it really is all around us. It just doesn't get this kind attention to, to nourish it. And, and again, I want to point out, it doesn't mean I'm trying to avoid the bad things or the difficult things that are going on in my life or being there for somebody else who's going through tough times. It's, it's not about that. It's just making sure that I give attention to it when it arises. And hopefully you're hearing that, uh, and the Buddha points this out, that, that some of this is a relational practice in terms of how I relate to others and, and how I'm interacting with them. One place, it, it's not, Mudita is not spoken about a lot in the early text, but in one of them, one of the places is he's talking about a harmonious assembly or a harmonious community. And this is one of the qualities of heart that support, supports harmony. Mudita, being able to have this in relationships. 
it takes care of relationships, right? To appreciate, to rejoice in the joys of others, especially around beautiful qualities of heart, like generosity and kindness and patience. It will create harmonious community. It's offering a, a bedrock of support when we bring that in. And it reminds us of the nature of, of our living. You know, as Gwendolyn Brooks said it at the end of one of her poems, we are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. We are each other's harvest. I'm not just an individual. I, 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 my existence, this beingness goes beyond that. It's interwoven with relationality, with relationships. It's interwoven into communities. And this practice is a way of honoring and nurturing this broader sense of what it is to be. Because sometimes we can get so fixed in me, mine, in a way that's really rigid rather than expanding and feeling the interwoven nature of what it is to live. And it's fascinating how it happens, the nuance of this and how they can be all these elements just in a small interchange of appreciative joy. The other day, I was on the phone with my mother. <laughs> and just that morning, I, I, I said to her, I was on the phone and I said to her, mom, you remember that sweater that you knit me so many years ago? And I said to her, I am so grateful for that because she knows this. We, we keep our house quite cold. But when I have this, this thick sweater, so when I have that sweater on, it's like it so keeps me warm in this cold house. So I was expressing gratitude, which is a kind of joy. And I was also affirming her generosity to me, some, some small gift that was still paying off. And then, and then she got really joyous about that. And then she had to tell me, yeah, yeah I, I wear two layers of clothes at home and a, and a scarf. And your father wears three layers. <laughs> Rejoicing and being in cold homes. Not that you have to have a, be in a cold home to be a practitioner. It's just a, maybe a strange thing of our family. <laughs> it was so sweet. And did you do you hear just in that small interchange of how our joy was kind of pinging back and forth and something was growing between us? A simple conversation about a sweater. And it completely changed everything. It was so sweet. This is how it's interwoven. We bring a quality of freedom of the heart into the world, into my own world, but into the relational world through Medita. I've also found it extremely important to balance out the difficulty, the suffering in the world. It, it's actually a way of navigating difficult times, even horrific times. It, you know, I used to do much more of this, only do a little bit of it now. Uh, I used to uh, uh, work with people going through uh, issues of trauma. And one of the things I learned from the kind of uh, 
work that I do around that is that one of the arts of it is to begin to notice often just in the most horrific situations, what will bubble up are really beautiful moments of support or nourishment or insight or kindness or generosity in the most surprising ways. And often the way through difficulty and trauma is giving attention to that. So often it's like, oh, we need to give attention to what went wrong, which, yeah, there's a place for that. But what allows the undulation through that are these gems because they're there. They're really there. For example, I was just speaking with a friend of mine who spent a month in Ukraine just a few weeks ago. So he's there in Ukraine. And it was interesting to hear his description of that. First of all, as you know, it was horrific. It was incredibly horrific being there and incredibly dangerous. And yet at the same time, what he was so moved by was the, the people around him, these uh, such beautiful examples of wholesome action of support and kindness and generosity and how deeply touching it was and how it allowed, he could see at least the people he was working with, how it allowed a way of moving through really horror. It takes that skill to notice that and to savor it in any situation. It's in this way, again, as Gwendolyn Brooks says, Gwendolyn Brooks says, we are each other's harvest. We can harvest the goodness with each other that brings nourishment. So hopefully you're hearing that, yeah, we can. it can be as light as a sweater and it can go to the depths of difficult situations, this practice. As I also mentioned, the other realm that fits into appreciative joy is gratitude, which again has been an important practice for me to come back to this again and again, because it makes such a difference in my life. And I'd like to share with you a poem uh, by the late uh, uh, Jane, Jane Kenyon, really an amazing poet where she, sense, uh, she describes the sense of gratitude in a poem. And she wrote this poem after she had discovered that she had leukemia. Actually, the, the, what had happened is she thought that she had a, a, a horrendous case of the flu. And then uh, unfortunately she found out it was much worse than that. And they had diagnosed her with, with leukemia. And then after the di diagnosis, she lived for uh, only 15 months. So it was from the diagnosis to the, in those, in those 15 months that she wrote this poem. And she died at the age of 47, uh, just when many, uh, many of her colleagues felt like she was in the prime of writing the best poetry of her life. So the title of the poem is Otherwise. 
she begins, I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood. All morning, I did the work I love. At noon, I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner at a we ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day just like this day. But one day I know it will be otherwise. That's what can bring a sense of gratitude, don't you think? Knowing that some point it's going to be otherwise. And sometimes what's tragic is that we don't really take that in until we some, somehow get some kind of diagnosis. But we already have that diagnosis. It's just that we can fool ourselves to thinking that we don't. And for me, when I read this poem, what's so moving about it is it's like, uh, this is what I imagine. I'm I imagining here she is lingering with these simple things in her life and savoring them, being grateful for them taking the dog for a walk, the dinner, whatever it is, to savor that, to be grateful. And that's why in the, at the end of the meditation, what I wanted to point to is the importance of the bodily experience of this. Because sometimes I can think about what I'm grateful for, but it's different, don't you think, when you feel it? That's where it's freeing when I feel it and stop and linger and slow down. And that's a skill. That's something I need to come back to again and again. Because if your mind's like mine, it can skip all over, over all kinds of good things that are going on. I need this. I need this if I really want to live, to truly live before I die. And this uh, also points out what's called the uh, the phrase is a little strange. The the near enemy, what's called in in these the kind of definitions in the early commentaries in Buddhism, the near enemy of mudita. So the near enemy of any of these is the thing that we can get it confused with. So it's really close to appreciative joy, but it's not really it. And the word that they use is exhilaration or exuberance. So I want to explain it again. The translation is a little bit tricky here. But it's, it's more when there's a joy of someone else's or my own joy 
where I'm, I'm skipping over it, what I just mentioned, rather than savoring it. I'm like lost in it. It's like I have all these stories about it rather than slowing there, down and being there for it. This makes sense, the difference in how that can be a near enemy. It's like, well, I feel like I'm grateful, but I'm not contacting it and what it's like. So this is the art of mudita is really landing it, just like we did, just to pause and to feel in some way. And then some, some other dimensions. This is a, a, the beginning of a poem that I, I also has this quality of gratitude or appreciative joy in it. It's from Czesław uh, Miłosz, uh, the, uh, the great uh, Polish poet, and it's called Gift. I just want to share with you just the first few lines because there's something striking that he's pointing to around this, this quality. And again, he's just describing his experience. He begins... A day so happy. Fog lifted early. I worked in the garden. Hummingbirds were stopping over honeysuckle flowers. There was no thing on earth I wanted to possess. And I know I knew no one worth my envying him. I find this very insightful about what really gratitude is about and what appreciative joy is about. Just that one sense here, did you hear like the delight of gardening, seeing the hummingbirds? And savoring that, that there's no thing on earth I wanted to possess. To me, it, it shows a lack of grasping, or another word, a fullness of contentment with this moment. So when the Buddha talks about mudita, at least uh, what we find in the early texts, it's often um, the opposite of discontent. So it's connected with contentment. When I'm having joy, when the joy of others and my own joy, I'm contented that there's no thing I want to possess. I don't need to hold on to it. I'm, I'm full. There's a sense of enoughness right now. That's contentment. I, I want what I have. This is how it dispels discontents. And then it, it points to another facet that uh, when he says, I knew no one worth my envying him. When I'm content, full in this way, why would I be jealous of another? <laughs> I'm full, I'm, this is it, this is great. And when this is it and this is great, Oh, when something's going really wonderful in your life, I'm so joyous about it rather than envious. And this is what's called the far enemy of mudita, the opposite. So the opposite of loving kindness is ill will. The opposite of compassion is harm, hurting someone. The opposite of mudita is being jealous of someone or envious. That sense of 
oh, they're doing better, I'm no good. As if it's a reflection, all it sometimes can feel like, and I, I know this feeling, so I wanna normalize it too. I see someone else and they're doing so well. And all that it reminds me of is how poorly I'm doing. It's like, I can't let it in because it almost like it ricochets off and it, it, it collides into how I feel like I'm not enough. And it's painful. And then there can be the secret joy of when bad things happen for that person to see if I could bring them down to whatever I consider my level. Am I the only one that's done this? <laughs> and I think sometimes it can be almost this weird frame, like there's only so much happiness in the world. If they have it, then I don't get any of it, <laughs> whatever it is. But often what's happening is I'm just getting lost in my own story. Mudita <clears throat> is a powerful practice for this. I remember, uh, you know, I, I know a number of practitioners who, when they feel jealous or envious, they'll go to this practice to begin with somebody who's really easy or being like your dog, and then seeing if it, it can uh, work around what were those envy or jealousy, to start to reside in being content. Oh, just the hummingbirds with the honeysuckle. Oh, that's enough. The fog lifting early in the morning and gardening. Oh, there's a fullness there. And do you hear that in his language? It's almost like when I read that poem, I can feel like, oh, that's a full life. In the garden and hummingbirds. Maybe that's what a full life is about. And to end, once again, this, this opening to joy for ourselves and in, in, in the interwoven world that we live in, in terms of relationships. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.